I wanted to ask you about trauma and PTSD in your work. From a lived experience perspective, from a sociological perspective, how does hip-hop help heal trauma? And does it, in fact? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely argue that it does. Um, I did an interview for that, um, when was that? Maybe a year ago about, you know, can hip-hop heal trauma? And one of the the main critiques that was... was, um, that I was met with in the article is there's just a lack of evidence showing it, you know, but I, I don't think anyone could watch a, a documentary like Mod Haven and could actually watch that and say that that did not help in any way, shape or form. These youth work through some of these traumas that they've been dealing with. So is um, that about the um, value system around what is valid evidence? Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, that's, that's, that's like the, uh, the ultimate goal. But in the meantime, we, you know, you continue to do the work and try to present it as best as you can, you know, as in as valid of a way as possible, whether it's through publishing studies, writing blogs, having discussions, you know, having, uh, you know, films, whatever it may be, continuing to, to do that work. And the evidence base will follow, you know, Um, because if, you know, if you're not doing the work first and foremost, nothing else is going to come behind it. Like there are going to be no opportunities to do big studies and get big grants, you know, like, so I, I agree with um, the individual you're talking about in the sense yeah. of, and I uh, don't, I don't say, do. yeah, I don't want to say what I know. I know what he's going to think. So yeah, I'm just posturing here, but yeah. So. Yeah. 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 No, I feel you hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, no, but it's, it's, it's valid and important to mention, you know, cause I think it's very easy for people to latch on to one or the other. And it's seen as very like, it's either got to be quantitative or it's got to be qualitative, right? And there's a reason there's both of them, you know, and they both inform each other. Um, so, yeah, in terms of trauma, I mean, I would say a lot of the youth that I've had the privilege of working with have experienced various traumas, um, you know, without getting super specific, you know, just various uh, forms of abuse, whether physical, sexual neglect, um, you know, run-ins with the law, uh, being locked up, you know, justice-involved youth, foster care. Um, it's pretty much, you know, just growing up in poverty, community violence, gang violence, it's, it's pretty much endless. Um, and it's, you know, that kind of goes towards uh, Vanderkolk's conceptualization of developmental trauma, where it's trauma, right, and being exposed to this toxic stress at such an early age where your brain is still developing, right? And you're just being literally marinated in cortisol and marinated in toxic stress and how that interferes with your ability to develop as an individual, uh, even on a neurological level. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty much the way I've understood Vander is developmental trauma is complex trauma for children. Uh, it's the experience of various traumatic um, experiences over the course of a lifetime, not a single event, PTSD, you know, um, and even the conceptualization of that. And, and, uh, Dr. Again, who, uh, I know you've had on, we've had some, some really great discussions about that, trying to further our understanding of that. Um, cause there's a lot of great work being done in the, in the, in the trauma field, a lot of research, um, that we're trying to kind of stay on top of. 
but so yeah, you know, you have the single event PTSD, which is the idea of like it just happens once. You know, the 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 modern thing you think of is like a soldier coming home from war who there was one event, and it's like trauma doesn't really work like that. You know, it's it's very rare that you're traumatized just once. You know, I, I would say there were probably, you know, we all have. I would say we've all had some experience with trauma at some point in our lives, whether it's a loss and there's big T, little T, you know, there's different conceptualizations of um, the, the extent of the trauma, but we've all had some kind of trauma, whether it's losing a loved one, whether it's getting jumped, whether it's, I don't know, whatever growing up for you was potentially traumatic, maybe a, a parent being absent or um, hitting you or, you know, all kinds of abuse, you know? Um, and yeah, so I, I would say, you know, in terms of the ACEs study and, and just the, the uh, increase of risk based upon these, these, mal these um, adverse childhood experiences that a lot of the youth have had, they come with a lot of baggage, you know, and a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of issues and things that they're struggling with that, you know, my, my goal is to try to work with them to process. And uh, it can be a very complicated um, discussion or process. Like we could go down several loopholes with that. I'm sorry, several uh, rabbit, rabbit holes um, in terms of how best to engage someone without, you know, over like putting too much, right? Like, cause you can easily trigger someone to the extent where maybe they weren't ready to process it. And, and a lot of that has to do with the clinical experience and knowing when to kind of, the ebb and flow of, of when to engage and also like um, pull back. Uh, so, you know, the discussion on trauma, I think is super important because I think it's a term again, that, that it's useful to define, right? Because a lot of people, if it's just a word thrown around freely, like the phrase hip hop therapy, it's very easy for it to be misused and people saying they're doing that when they're not you know, and then that kind of taints the whole conceptualization of it. Um, so it's very important, I believe, whether in defining hip hop therapy or trying to define trauma uh, to, to, you know, try to put your finger on it as best you can so that you can operationalize it in a way that you're being of best service and of best use to the client you're working with. Um, you know, because I've been at conferences and stuff and I, I hear educators talk about how they're addressing trauma in the classroom. And I'm kind of like, uh, you got to be careful, like, just be careful. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 potentially um, it's potentially very harmful. And I I fear for a lot of these kids, you know, um, and I don't think these people have bad, bad intentions. You know, I just think it's being misinformed and, you know, it's not what they've been trained in. Yeah, coming coming from this work originally as a teacher, um, you know, I worked in one of the largest schools in Europe with four thousand mm. kids on roll, and mm. it was a secondary school in a rough area. Like, you know, so the pastoral staff would go and do a home visit, <laughs> say, "Oh, a shotgun's been pulled on him," or something. You know, his Nazi sign on the bus stop outside, and then you know, kids coming from. Uh, areas where gangs are rife and yeah massive white working class um poverty massive um 
racial violence and and tension and stuff so yeah it's my first year as a teacher that was <laughs> the best first year I could have had because it was the most challenging environment I could have ever worked in so going in there from the beginning and then working there for about six years I was pretty much okay to go anywhere else after mm-hmm. that. but um yeah now looking at the research in trauma and thinking back to the young people I work with the significant gap in my knowledge meant that I was dealing with it from a teacher's perspective you know completely uninformed so I didn't recognize the signs now I recognize what I was dealing was with lots and lots of um, poverty infused traumatic experiences and you know I really I really wonder now how much things have changed in terms of you know helping professionals getting information and support to understand how to deal with those things and um, what difference it would make like you said if those things are the primary focus in education and then the education happens once people are able to cope with it because I'll give you a like a lived experience perspective that I I come come with to this is around um, being able to read I've got two degrees master's degrees around literature and creative writing I'm an English teacher I can read and I can write I'm a poet you know blah 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 I cannot when my brain's going into that sort of PTSD mode I can't read stuff about the traumatic experiences that I'm going through right I can read research and literature when it's research and literature that's actually about trauma I my brain goes into shutdown and I literally I I I can't get past a page. Mm. So just before I spoke to you, I was just looking through my inbox and an email came through from ResearchGate and it was a, a piece by somebody that I hadn't heard of and it was about trauma and PTSD. So I started to scan it. It's, it you know, thought, you know, if, if I can actually cope with reading this, it'll be worth downloading it. Otherwise, it's clogging space on my desktop. And I was really surprised, so surprised that the guy was writing in a digestible way and it was really accessible and everything I could follow. Um, and I just had to email him and say, thank you for writing some clear, accessible research. This is what I'm oh. doing. be great to keep a conversation open because it's people like him that we need. If you're going to get researchers who are coming from a perspective of having a lived experience in these things and maybe oh. coming at it not from a better perspective, but oh. a lived experience perspective of what works for them is key because so many interventions don't work. So many interventions are failing and you've got suicides going through the roof and a mental health pandemic starting. So I'd like to ask you about your views on the future of mental health services around the world and how hip hop therapy can help alleviate perhaps some of the issues coming from COVID and the pandemic. And you know the ideas that we're going into second lockdown now Lots of people are really worn out, and it's getting dark. Yeah. It's getting wintry in in the UK. Um, I'm I'm just seeing a massive shitstorm, if I'm honest, coming up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and who knows how long this will last, right? I think I think part of the power in hip hop is how embodied it is. Um, you know, when you listen to music or you're writing, it's like you're kind of bopping along. You're you're there's rhythmic movement involved, you know, and, and a lot of the trauma research talks about the, the necessity of engaging the body, right? 
um, that you have the body keeps the score that, um, you know, we're not like these brains in a vat. We're not just kind of separated um, and, and to try to incorporate the viscera and the, and the body as much as possible. And I think the tough thing during these times, right, is it's kind of encouraged the idea of um, that old philosophical kind of conundrum of a brain in a vat, like we're just receiving input, you know, um, and we're receiving all kinds of input digitally. We're having discussions and, and it's not the same as one-on-one. Like it's not the same as us sitting face to face, having a conversation. The rhythms might be slightly off. We might not be feeding off each other as much. We might think we're looking each other in the eyes, but we might not really, you know, depending on where you're looking at on the screen. Um, and that makes it extremely difficult, you know, especially in terms of co-regulation and kind of trying to develop a certain, uh, a certain space, really, which is as much a physical space for a holding environment as much as an ideological space um so that's been a huge that's a huge um barrier and i think a lot of people are you know doing great work to overcome that or trying to overcome that and and working in a way where it can be as rhythmic as close to the real thing as possible um so that's the downside i would say the plus side is that it encourages people who may never have spoken before like you know, a couple of years ago, I, you know, maybe we would have never had this conversation. It wouldn't have been like, okay, we can just zoom each other and face to face this combo. Um, so technology, I think is, is shifting and trying to, you know, speed up as well to kind of, uh, to, to work and provide that capacity to relate with others in a way as authentically in a digital space as possible, right? It's never going to be completely authentic. Um, but the closer you can get to it, the better, right? Like, whether you're, it's a telegraph to a phone call to, you know, like a cell phone, you know, sending pictures, like it's, it's evolving. And, 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 you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing in a sense of creating that, that sense of genuine connection with people. But, you know, I think we also have to keep in mind that it's not the same thing as face to face. It's not the same thing as being physically present with someone. Um, as much as it might feel and seem the exact same, you know, it's, it's just a very different process. So I think doing what we can while we can, you know, doing things like this as best we can. Um, and then, you know, but also not once things kind of settle down and go back to normal, not immediately being like, well, we could just do it all virtual anyway, because that's what we're used to. So let's just stick with virtual. Like, I think there's a time and space for both. I think right now on the pendulum right now, we're a little too far on the digital um for, because we have to be um but i do think there's utility in both you know and there, it's a, a bit of a back and forth but you know my hope is that through these virtual kind of meetings and discussions spreading the word spreading awareness um you know even just gaining credibility for that term hip-hop therapy uh in the sense of when people hear it they they don't laugh you know what I'm saying? Something as simple as that. Like, oh, that kind of makes sense. You know, now whenever I talk to anybody who's never heard of it, they're like, that make that actually makes a lot of sense. Like when I was first a decade ago talking about it, I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like people just didn't, they just didn't seem to comprehend or grasp it. I mean, that that has a lot to do with the stigma associated with, with hip hop culture, but a lot of stigma around therapy as well. Um, 
So trying to create a space where both can coexist, you know, like community created, community defined healing practices, combining those with psychotherapeutic practices in a way where they're not negating or, you know, each other. And it can be done in a way where they're each respecting each other and, and both of them are being operationalized. Um, you know, cause from, yeah, that's kind of a whole nother philosophical discussion. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> uh, thing is, you know, with operationalizing the work, like you were saying, we'll be able to take things to scale. But one of the other counters to that is the idea that people don't want this kind of work to go to scale. Yeah. 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 People are empowered. They become um, self-realized and self-actualized and they get to process things that have happened to them and meet their potential. So if you've got lots of people meeting their potential, they're not yeah. going to fit into the package or reality that you're offering because people don't meet their potential in that package. So, yeah. uh, you know, it. You know, Gabor Mate, he was talking about you don't need any more research because the evidence is there with how trauma works, how arts mm. work, and... Mm the actual people who are listening to whether it works or not, just because it, it dispels everything that modern science rests on. So when you're looking at texts like how the body keeps a score, there's mm. stuff in there that just you can't get your head round. Yeah. Or being blind and, and then not being blind. And it's to do with trauma. And um, if you start saying that people's minds can cause them to not walk, like myself, so that's something that I experienced, mm-hmm. um, not being able to see, people um, having uh, massive shifts in whether they can even feel their bodies or not. So being in a state of paralysis, when there's no physical cause for those types of things, then it means that all of the foundations that you're resting modern medicine on are just going to crumble and so you get to a point with the evidence and presenting research Mm. at what point can you say actually there it is plain and simple yeah I mean I think that work should be Mm. and has been occurring right like I don't need a scientist to tell me this works before I'm going to try or do it right like but for example, right, like had Tyson never done his first study, as preliminary as it was, and with as many limitations as it, as it had, as he described in the article, I would have never heard of hip hop therapy and never even, I know hip hop's healing, but I would have never even thought about incorporating that into my, my work as a social worker when I was first studying, right? That's so, what he did to me too. Now I yeah. put on the article from the UK and thought, yeah. oh my God, that's real. Yeah. I can do that with my writing. Wow. But, yeah, but so that feeling that you got, yeah. right, yeah. In, a prof- in a professional setting, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, it's, it's valuable. It's not all there is, right? Like the hope with like Madhaven the doc, it's not, that's not a scientific study. It's you just seeing it, right? That has impact and that can affect people to say, let me try or ask for this. Um, you know, I was doing a presentation at NYU and I screened the film and one of the women in the, in the crowd, actually, it was, it was wild. She was like, you know, I've actually seen this before. And I was like, really? That's weird. She was like, yeah, I had a client and I work in Jersey with foster care youth. I had a client who saw this, brought it to me and said, can you please do this? And she's like, and I don't know how to do this, you know? 
And it's like, how do you get people like that trained to do it? I mean, a lot of it boils down to the funding, right? And then that can be a whole macro um, argument about capitalism. And, and, you know, there's, there's so many different critiques available to tear apart, you know, um, certain, you know, conceptual, conceptualizations of the way that our, our systems are, are structured. Um, but I also, I also, I'm, I'm not quick to throw out the utility of things like science or modern science and, and what that has, you know, led to, especially in the spaces of healing and the importance of, you know, fact finding, um, or even just further operationalizing, right? Like I think inherently we might know a certain thing is therapeutic, right? Say we're used to running and that's therapeutic, or we're used to doing certain things, right? And then the whole purpose of science, not necessarily what it's actually done, but the purpose of it is to quantify which part of it's working, which part is not, in order to maximize effects, make it more potent or, or effective, so to speak, right? Um, now that can easily be manipulated, that can easily be, and I think sometimes we confound them, you know, um, where it's easy to see science, say, as just a, a construct of the West and we don't, you know, like it's all going to crumble and we don't need it. Um, I think there's plenty wrong with the science, you know, science as is, uh, and, and it's rooted more back into the, that argument about structure and fluidity. I think with science, um, especially in the articles like you're talking about, and it's very rigid and it's very isolationist and it's not for your average everyday person to kind of read and understand. And the way I see it is we're both speaking two different languages, right? The community driven like hip hop was therapy for me before I ever heard about hip hop therapy. That's just what it's been for me. So I knew that I didn't need any studies to tell me that, right? Um, that, that knowledge can be met with scientific inquiry but it's how you do it, right? And it can be done and presented in a way where um, it's community defined and it's not like saying, oh, hey, thank you hip hop community for showing me how this is therapeutic. Now we're gonna, all you practitioners of people who are from the culture and have been making this happen, peace. Like now we're gonna just go run with it. And you know, communities particularly of, of uh, you know, color have seen that happen since day one. So I understand the, I fully understand the the hesitation and the kind of like I don't want this to be brought to scale. You're gonna take my hip hop, my culture, what what we have defined ourselves, and implement it in a scientific study, um, or implement it in a way where it could be manipulated or not be authentic. You know, and then that's a very valid concern. That's very realistic. You know, and that kind of goes back to the importance of what I was saying before when you when we were talking about the potential of a mass study. How do you do it authentically, right? How do you do it with people from the culture in a very in an authentic way where you can merge and bridge the gap between the two different languages? Because I think a lot of what natural healers are saying is what some scientists are saying. It's just a different language. And maybe just kind of bridging that gap should be the goal because it's like, I think for the most part, you know, I think we're all trying to do the same thing in terms of help people. Um, sure, you got people, you know, people who are don't care about health, but you know, generally, if you're a social worker, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, like I would think, for the most part, you you care about people. Otherwise, you know, go do something else. You know, um, so I, I like to think that there's certain um, 
there's a lot of opportunity there for collaboration and, and the uh, the them feed like you said a feedback loop them informing each other not not privileging science or privileging the community or but using both and kind of like in, you know getting them to work hand in hand I think that that's that's uh, really important and that it's kind of how therapy works in the sense of right now the structures of therapy and and the way we view it it's too rigid it's too ordered right it's too it's just rigid they hear hip hop no 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 they're not open to new ideas right and sometimes you got to introduce a little chaos you got to introduce some of that fire to get that shit to move a little bit you know and get it opened up and like oh maybe okay maybe that's possible all right you know like um you know the scientific structures of knowledge are not perfect and and there's a lot of room for improvement and that's where you know community defined practices and culturally responsive practices come in to shake them up and wake them up a bit right that's the introduction of the the chaos element and that balance between chaos and order um and i think that's the way to move forward as opposed to just tear everything down you know that's that's really significant point and um I'm thinking about in response to what what we've talked about today. I'm starting to think that maybe working with young people, uh, in fact, any any age group who have experienced the benefits of therapeutic hip hop. You know, if you're even not a therapist and you're doing work around it, or if you are trained in hip hop therapy, um, and then going forward using their abilities once they've reached their potential and or not even reached their potential because that's an ongoing process once people have gone through the process of engaging in activities with hip-hop at the center of their therapeutic intervention perhaps if they've seen the benefit and lived through the changes themselves then when they're feeling more able and and healthy and strong and able to hold the space for other people maybe if they're then working as trained participants and facilitators like the work that rhythmic mind are doing they came on as guests recently and said that they're starting to train facilitators from their you know cohorts and after this i'm just thinking that is exactly the kind of approach i think we need to take if you're going to scale this work i think you need to have people who have gone through the process you know what I mean? And that might not even be that you've had the therapeutic interventions. You, Like Jonah and Max from Rhythmic Mind said, as long as you've got an authentic passion for hip hop and you have some training so you can understand how to create safe boundaries, mm-hmm. how to deal with the effects of trauma and help to bring people to a regulated state so that they're leading and you're responding to their ebbs and flows as you said as long as you've got those safety and ethical practical guidelines in place for you to do the work I think you would need a passion like they suggested and if you're the people doing the work because you'll have that fire inside you and hip-hop's already moved your inner structures I think you'll be equipped to go and address the structures in the scientific community with that kind of astute awareness of the inner functions of yourself and how they respond to the work and how it can work with society and how it can interact with society and the structures around you 
hundred percent. And I, I think that's kind of what in a sense has been occurring up to this point, right? Like for our participants in the culture are people who are now really pushing forward the movement or the approach, right? Or the idea of the healing power of hip hop, as Dr. Travis puts it. Um, these are people who are like embedded in the culture. Um, so yeah, if you have people who are, um, have been a part of the workshops and experienced it and seen it and, and really, you know, it's each one teach one, that's hip hop. You know what I mean? So it's like, that makes sense. That makes a hundred percent, you know, sense to, to try to further that along. And I have no, like, and that's happening inherently, you know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, this has been used as healing since its inception. Like this is, not, and that goes back to why Tyson wasn't like trying to copyright hip hop therapy or claim ownership. Like hip hop has been therapeutic since day one. And it's been used that way long before Tyson even coined the term. You know what I mean? And he was well aware of that. And these are things that this community, you know, has been, you know, uh, has created. And, and for me, for someone who's been a recipient and a benefactor of that, like, I feel a, a huge level of responsibility um, to the culture. I, I owe the culture. Like, that's why I do this work. It really it helped keep me afloat, you know? And so that's just something that I, that I owe back. And I'm trying to contribute as best I can in terms of either an artist or from a more um, clinical side. But this is stuff that's occurring continuously, has and will, you know? Um, I think the only point in terms of, the terminology, right? Like hip hop therapy, we're defining what's therapy, what's not therapy. I think, I think that's useful, um, but that doesn't mean that's the only useful thing. Like, I don't want people to take away from this discussion. If you're not a trained therapist and you can't do hip hop therapy, don't even bother. It's like, who the fuck would I be to say that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that, these communities have been doing this from day, like it's therapeutic. It's therapeutic inherently. So if that means each one teach one, you know, you're kind of doing workshops and, and people are getting the, you know, participants then go on to be facilitators. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That's, that's what's occurring already naturally within the culture. Um, you know, so I, I don't try to define or put boundaries around hip hop therapy to limit accessibility. That's by no means like what I, my hope is or what, you know, in, in the research I've been doing or what I think Tyson was trying to do by any means. It's really just um, trying to take a multi-faceted attack at um, validating the use of hip hop on a, usually really on a structural level because these structures aren't going anywhere. And if we want to get to the level where funding will be there for the community to support itself, hopefully, ideally, right? doesn't always work out like that. Um, you know, there needs to be some sort of base, right? So I guess my, my thing is that they're not exclusive. They both can coexist, right? And I, and it, yeah, again, I don't want people to feel like I can't use hip hop therapeutically because I'm not a therapist. I just, I'm solely for the purposes of defining terminology is why I have the, the discussion about hip hop therapy. Um, but other than that, like, use it. You, you know, use it in any capacity you can in schools, after school programs, you know, just be mindful of the limitations and the strengths, like with anything else, you know, be mindful, try to be mindful of, you know, it's really just a matter of, and I, I loved your conversation with Dr. Gann about this. It's an honor. It's a matter of not just cultural humility, um, but professional humility as well. Understanding like 
what you know and what you don't know. You know, I'm not an expressive arts therapist. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, <clears throat> I, I just don't know. And I would love to learn more about it. You know, I'm not a music therapist. I'm not trained as these things. So I, I can't claim these terms. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you can't do valuable work or draw or be inspired from it. But it's important to just for the definition of terms, it's important to say what you're doing and why you're using, you know, calling it what you're calling it. Just so there's transparency, you know, so people can, hey, if you can't provide the help they need, they can go seek the help they actually need. You know, so I think just definitionally, that's that's a very important conversation that, um, you know, I was hearing you have with Dr. Gann and, that, you know, I think it's something that will hopefully be continued to be discussed. Yeah, I'm really, really pleased that we discussed that because the more discussion that we have around it, the more we can further the field that touches onto hip hop therapy. So thank you so much. Yeah. So one of the things that we do each each in each chamber of the podcast is ask our guests to suggest a few lines from a song that they really resonate with. It might mm. be something that they heard and they enjoyed when they were younger. Could be something on your current playlist. It might be a couple of lines from a song that you've used with mm. the people at work. Uh, it could be facilitators you work with. It could be the psychologist, sorry, the English teacher that you mentioned from the mm. um, documentary. Could be some lyrics that one of the young people that you work with have created. So we asked for roughly eight bars. Got you. That's a great question. I should have definitely, uh, I should have definitely prepared for that. No, I don't. I, I prefer um, people to just think on the spot. On the spot. Yeah, because then you just, you know, it's, I no, feel big you. Deal. it's no big deal. Just draw yeah. for anything that pops into your head. Well, I, I would say one of the most recent features I did um, with this MC I met recently named Sunny Days. Uh, it's called Hell of a Dance. Um, you know, he made the beat, sent it over, and and I wrote my verse to it amidst um, BLM protests uh, in New York City when we were kind of all taken to the streets. And uh, I think there's something about, you know, I kind of was trying to address, I guess, the, um, the enmeshment of the individual in society, you know, society at large in the verse that, so I don't know, would I show you the song or should I just try to recall the verse or? You do whatever feels right in the moment. <laughs> How would that work if I showed you the actual, the actual yeah, you verse? Could, you could pop the song on if you've got it on your computer. We can share the sound and share it in the podcast live and direct. All right. So do you have Spotify? Should I just tell you? Like, what's the best way to do the sound? Yeah, uh, you can play it on your computer now if you want. Copy. Let me, let me, see. Let me pull it up. Um, I kind of like the sort of... DIY element in our podcast where you know you, you wouldn't really I don't want it to be too prepared or for people to be expecting that it's going to go in a certain way yeah I get I that prefer I, to, I prefer to just keep it live and direct in the moment kind of thing because once you start thinking too much about it you can start to get a bit heads up and stuff no I appreciate that and I think that goes to the value of um you know, even from the psychodynamic perspective, right? Like the uh, free association and the, the value of freestyling and hip hop and, you know, freestyling is very much the, uh, the king of the subconscious um, from a Freudian perspective. So I think and it really, a, it helps you tap into 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say mindfulness helps you tap into where you are and what you're doing, how you're feeling. For sure. Um, So if I play this now, it's getting... That's coming through the computer speakers. So if if you share your sounds mm. with me, let's see. Gotcha. Not sure how you do that, but I'll tell you right. what, you can you can send it over and I can pop it on the end if you like. It's all good. Jonah and Max had a um host facility on when they were recording, so maybe it was um something to do with how they were hosting got you if you open that link up that i sent you does it play through your speakers or have a look now this is my buddy (laughs) and then I, i go first What a hell of a dance Tell them don't breathe when they held up their hands What you expect with a knee to the neck Let's see you develop an eloquent plan Don't mean shit if you write it right So hit the script, just flip, make the silent type Either fight or flight when the violence strikes No better than to freeze when the sirens light Say they names, say they names uh, Ain't no change if you don't change nah, Hello brains and grown wings Yeah, streets drowning old E Yeah, don't medicate, just meditate How we gonna breathe it out under this heavy weight Facing the pavement, dead awake With no getaway my head it aches, I've been wide asleep My leg is shakes, every time I see these sirens creep Dissociate, yeah, that's my whole theme From the PCP to the powder dreams Who the fuck are you to tell me how to be? When you ain't ever seen my valley's peaks What you know about the dark alley's reach? You ain't make your shadow left half deceased Trying to stay grounded with ten toes It ain't just me, there's many more My wrath is heavenly, seven folds So just cross me to know the lengths I'll go Alright, yeah That was my verse we we'll just stop it there. Yeah, let's stop it. But yeah, what'd you think? I'd love to hear your. I'd love to hear your reaction. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. We can do a little reaction video here. I like. Uh, I like the um kind of chilled out beats actually because it wasn't mm-hmm. what I was expecting. Oh, it sounded much more like um you know when you listen to modern indie like electronic indie like the MGMT kind of stuff that was out mm-hmm. about ten years ago. It reminded me a little bit of that. So mm. I wasn't expecting like the angry uh, yeah, 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 vocals yeah. that you're putting on. You were really going yeah, yeah, in yeah. there with the whole. Yeah, yeah. I could feel the passion and what you were saying earlier sure. about presenting a persona and a time that you experienced in a safe way when you're performing and mm. tapping into that emotional energy while you're Absolutely. on stage about hip hop being performance, drama, charisma as well as lyrical dexterity. I mm. said it that time. <laughs> there you go. It's, 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 I think the contrast really works, doesn't it, in that song? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think so. I mean, he he did his thing on the song and his was a lot more introspective and then I kind of went a total different route. Ah. Just because of the, the, yeah, the headspace I was in at the time. Um, Sick. You know, that was right after, yeah, right after um, George Floyd. And, and uh, so, yeah, th- so the lines, right? So like, 
the reason I guess I thought of that is is um, it kind of relates to mental health or the social perspective in a sense where uh, so caught in between what a hell of a dance. Tell them don't breathe when they held up their hands, like still shooting. Tell them don't breathe when they held up their hands. What you expect with the knee to your neck? Let's see you develop an eloquent plan. Right. So the idea at the time what was going on is a lot of amidst these peaceful protests initially when it first popped off there was some rioting especially in the city going on too um and in my mind it was like you know you have the news just saying oh there's riots all this crazy in my mind it was like i'm surprised there isn't more rioting like what do you expect what do you expect you know what i mean something like that is something that systematically happens to people in your community your loved ones people you know what I mean? And, and that happens in your personal life as well. And this is symbolic of that. It's a triggering event, right? Of this collective trauma. I, like you're lucky the whole city didn't burn, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, people will present the narrative however they want to present it. Um, of course it was major, it was primarily peaceful. And that to me was shocking, but I, maybe I have a pessimistic view of humanity in the sense of like, you know, I just can't, you know, I can't imagine. And I think it's wild that um, it was as isolated as it, as it was. Because when you're responding through a traumatic response and you've been triggered, right? You know, it's, it's that, yes. So that's expected, you know, and everybody acts shocked. Like, whoa, they're, they're rioting, they're looting. They're what? Oh my God, why is that happening? It's like, wake up, you know? Like, it's very obvious why that's happening. You know, that's a traumatic response. And, um, and I was surprised it didn't happen more. And I think that that's like, that just speaks to the strength of the community to band together and channel that energy into social action, which again is what hip hop was born out of. Um, incredibly powerful. And then there's another line in there, I think where I say, um, that relates to trauma again. It's like, say they names, say they names. Uh. Ain't no change if you don't change, nah. Ain't no rings and growing wings, yeah. Streets drowning, oh yeah, yeah. Don't medicate, just meditate. How we gonna breathe it out under this heavy weight? Don't medic, yeah. Don't meditate, don't medicate, just meditate. How we gonna breathe it out under this heavy weight? There's a line in this dope song by J. Cole that I love. It's called Friends, right? It's off KOD. And he's talking to an addict, a friend who's an addict. Um, or just addiction in, addiction in general. Uh, something I use in my work a lot. And he has this line where at the end, he's kind of like saying, don't medicate, just meditate, right? And uh, and I love the song, right? This is nothing against him or, and then, but from from my perspective, and I and I see this a lot in, in um, you know, in psychology or in approaches, clinical work, right? Where it's not as simple sometimes as like, don't medicate, just meditate. How are we going to breathe it out under this heavy weight, right? So even if you're learning how to breathe and control your breath and mindfulness and okay, you're willing, you're able to center yourself. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying like, that's not going to save you out there. You know what I mean? Like in the system, you know, in, within that structural system, right? Like George Floyd, whether he was doing a breathing exercises or not, that didn't matter. You, you know what I mean? Like that's, so some, that's trying to really knock home the point of this is bigger than just the individual. And we cannot just solely address this as one-on-one -on -one, um, as one-on-one -on -one work. There's social systems at work that we, you know, as ill-equipped as we may be, 
You know, as ill-equipped as I may be, I need to try whatever I possibly can to change these macro systems that are outside of my reach. You know, whether it's just one school environment, whether it's one like, you know, just got to do whatever we can because not to minimize the individual work. That's crucial. But we also need the social work to support that. Yeah, it's interesting that you said all that because, you know, it resonates back to what you were saying earlier about individuals at school trying to get through the system when they've got a metaphorical neck to their uh, knee to their necks while yes. they're trying to deal with traumatic experiences as children. And, you know, it's, it's hard to deal with stuff when you're an adult. Can you imagine not understanding what's going on and having life experience to sort of recognize when something's not right as a child? You need safe adults, stable adults around you to love and nurture you and recognize what's happening with you. Um, so it's scary that when an adult might recognize what's happening with you, they take you to an institution like a doctor, um, a, a hospital or um, a therapist and they're not recognized or like me, I've, I'm still not diagnosed as, as having PTSD and trauma, which... Um, you know, going, doing what I do, I'm, I'm just wondering what the hell do I have to do to, you know, nobody's ever said like, oh, so to do, to deal with that. Oh, so you're having, you know, you're having traumatic like symptoms. So nobody's actually said, okay, so what you need to do to help yourself for that is we can do this with you or we could do that with you or we could have specific treatment that it deals with those things. It's just always been take some antidepressants. And I'm like, hang on, whoa, the thing, mm. past ain't going to change, brain ain't going to change with them. It's going to get worse, like the side effects. I mm-hmm. could get suicidal on those. So that's the last thing I, I want to do. I think, and I've had this personal experience as well, hospitals, a lot of therapists, psychiatrists, and not all therapists are created equal like any other job, right? Some are really good at their job, some are not. Um, and you got to take that with, with what it is. Um, but it can be an extremely dehumanizing experience. You know, like bouncing through uh, institutions myself, especially as a teen, um, those were scarring experiences for me. I mean, they were very much like just dosum, dosum, heavily medicated. Um, there was no tangible, let's really work with this, you know. So, you know, the, the mental health field is making significant strides and changes that are important, not fast enough, uh, but at least it's, it's occurring. And I fully understand that. I fully understand the hesitance of like, I go to a doctor and all they do is say, hey, here's an antidepressant or hey, here's a benzo. Um, you know, and then that's not a doctor to go see, but to continue what, what, to shop around. Why you know, is like, that? Yeah. Why is that happening in your perspective? I think it's, it's, it's primarily been the specialization, right? Like the therapist that I see now personally, someone I've been seeing for decade and a half, maybe, you know, like for a long time. Um, He's, he's someone who is a psychologist, you know, a clinical, like a, a, a clinical psychologist as well as a psychiatrist. I think now in the field, there's been a, a definite specialization where um, now they split you between psychologists and psychiatrists. So the psychologist is supposed to provide the talk therapy. And then the psychiatrist is the medical doctor. They're the ones who prescribe you the medication, right? And I think within that separation of the two, it's very easy to, for things to get lost in translation and, you know, 
if you show up to the psychologist and now you're having a great relation, okay, yeah, this sounds good. Cool. I appreciate this. And then you go to the psychiatrist and, and you only have 15 minutes and they're just there to prescribe you medication. Um, as opposed to the psychiatrist also being the one doing the talk therapy, um, which is what I've had experience with. And that's what really has helped me um, and helped me on my, on my journey uh, of, of healing has been having someone who, who did both and, you know, I can't speak for the system as a whole, but I have noticed a particularly, you know, a specialized approach. And I think a lot gets lost in translation because at the end of the day, it's about the relationship with the clinician and you could have a great relationship with one and then they send you to the other and who's supposed to give you the medication. And then that one immediately, you're like, I, you don't even, I haven't even spoken to you for five minutes and you're prescribing me something, you know? So I think it's very important to kind of start with, you know, like, for example, if, if you are getting hit with the meds issue right away, first develop that relationship with the psychologist and you can be very open with them, you know, like a cl or a clinical uh, social worker, whatever the, the, the licensing may be, wherever you're at. Um, but a therapist who you can develop a relationship with. And if you don't want meds or you don't want to go see a psychiatrist, they can't prescribe you it, you know, so you just let them know, like, I don't want that you know, and be, and you're going to find therapists who they'll work with you and they'll have those discussions, you know, and maybe they'll lay out the pros of potential medication and the cons of, of medication. And maybe you need to try ABC all the way up to Z before you finally are like, you know, all these cognitive behavioral approaches, all of these body-based, all these things I've tried, nothing is, is doing the trick. I'm still reactive, you know, then maybe I'll try medication. It shouldn't be the first resort. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people experience it as first resort. And it's not even ill intention. I think it's like, for me, right? When I was first diagnosed with major depressive disorder, clinical depression, right? When I was, I was 15, it had been going on for a while, but I was 15. And the doctor said to me, I met him within five, 10 minutes. He said to me, uh, I believe you're depressed and we have medication that can help with that. And do you know what my answer was? Thank God give me as much as whatever the fuck I'm so low. Yeah. And I know that I've tried so hard, whatever I can do, I can't get out of this rut, you know? So it's, you know, and the meds saved my life, you know? So it's, it's, um, they helped okay. to an extent, to an extent. Right? And I think there's, sorry, what are you saying? Double edge? I was just saying the double edge. Sorry, cut out a sec. Yeah. yeah I, sorry. I, I think, yes, yes. It again goes to kind of that pendulum, the idea of finding that gray zone, that middle ground, right? Because that provided me with hope, it, just the idea. And that normally would, that scares a lot of people off. You go in and they mention medication right away. For me, I was kind of like, oh, thank God, you know? And, um, and that, that has a lot to do with like cultural background as well. You know, whether you even feel you can trust this doctor, you know what I mean? Like Tuskegee experiments and going back to like the, the um, vast discrepancies in, uh, the provision and quality of healthcare uh, for ethnic mi minorities in this country. So they are rightfully skeptical. A lot are very, you know, um, for me, it was like, oh my God, yes, please. And uh, for most people, it's like, you don't even know me, you know? So yeah, double-edged sword, it's different for everybody. So, you know, I, I do think though, for some people, you know, you want to at least be introduced to the idea of therapy and, and maybe start certain behavioral techniques or whatever, techniques you want to approach it with, try that first. And then if all else fails, 
consider the meds or don't. No one can make you take them. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I guess unless you're an adolescent. But generally speaking, when you're on the outside and you're free, nobody can make you. No one's going to force feed you it. You know, so I think sometimes people get scared off and rightfully so. But without really doing and give the 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 legwork that it takes to build that relationship with, with a therapist or um, in order to explore, you know, and you can just switch, right? Like say that initial one is, is rubbing you the wrong way and you're not connecting because research sh shows, and I learned this from, you know, Tyson in his article, Coben and Tyson in 2006, that one is a huge, very foundational article um, where he expands upon hip hop therapy, but he, 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 talks about how the primary predictor of therapeutic efficacy, right, of success in therapy is the therapeutic alliance, is the relationship, right? The building of mutual empathy and empathy, that feeling like your therapist cares for you and you care about your therapist. There's a genuine exchange. That trumps any theoretical orientation or approach, which is, that's, that's profound. That's, that speaks volumes about the relational aspect of healing. Right. So yeah, feeling that out and, and exploring that and, and giving it a chance. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, diagnoses are really, it's, it's a guiding thing. I, I've been diagnosed with like five different things, you know, like it's nothing set in stone. I wish I knew that at the time, you know, so like when they were saying like, oh, you're bipolar, or you're this or you're that, you know, I, I thought it was definite. Um, you know, this is an emerging science in general. Diagnosis can be very dehumanizing, but it can also provide um, solace in the sense of for me when I didn't know there was a name for what I was experiencing when he first told me I, I, you have clinical depression. I didn't know. And honestly, that provided a lot of relief because I just thought, I'm just, I'm just messed up and I'm going to always be like this. It's never going to get better. Yeah, the complexities around our experiences as individuals are yes. as profound as the complexities around the kind of therapeutic approaches that can be offered. Without really examining them and talking about them and critically theorizing around them we don't really get the chance to look at what does help and how it helps so again I'd like to thank you for joining as a guest and um, it's just been fascinating I really have enjoyed talking to you thank you so much how, how can people, thank you how can people find you online and what what's the best place to find Mott Haven? That's uh, a good question. I mean, I would encourage people to check out um, hiphoptherapy.com. It's a website I created to honor Dr. Tyson. Um, he passed in 2018. And just trying to really help um, forward his work and his, his, his mission and something he you know dedicated over two decades of his life to. So I would definitely look there for research. You could contact me through there as well. Um, but also on, uh, you can find me on Instagram, probably for the most updated stuff that I'm up to. And uh, I go by Phoenix Can NY. You so Phoenix, yeah, I spell it, yeah, where it's uh, Phoenix is F-I-E-N-Y-X. That's my rap name. And then after that is N-Y, as in New York. So Phoenix NY. Uh, that's on Instagram, Twitter, which I never use. I don't know, a bunch of those other things. <laughs> yeah, so Mott Haven is also, just to let you know, it's M-O-T-T, -T, 
Oh, I'm just froze. So it's M O W T H A V E N, two separate words, and it's the district that you're yeah. working in. So yeah, once again, JC Hall, thank you so much. Thank you, endless thanks for coming on and talking with us. And we hope to work closely with you from a hip hop heels perspective. Our website is hip hop heels UK. Org, and we're currently fundraising to do some MC therapeutic workshops with the homeless and bereaved. So the event that I put on annually is called Dubgasm, D-U-B-G-A-S-M, and it's on justgiving.com. So if you want to chuck in a couple of quid or a couple of dollars, knock yourself out. We'd greatly appreciate your support so that we can further the field, do some work, collect our results publish report share make films and celebrate the beauty of hip-hop and its healing potential so this is glow with the flow podcast thanks again for listening and yeah shout outs to ben and greg who have not been able to join us today but yeah big ups to them too so one love everyone peace appreciate the opportunity Better than the freeze when the sirens light Say their names, say their names uh, Ain't no change if you don't change Nah, hello rings and grown wings Yeah, streets drowning OD Yeah, don't medicate, just meditate How we gon' breathe it out under this heavy weight Facing the pavement, dead awake with no getaway My head aches, I've been wide asleep My leg is shakes every time I see these sirens creep Dissociate, yeah, that's my old theme From the PCP to the powder dreams Who the fuck are you to tell me how to be? When you ain't ever seen my valley's peaks what you know about that dark alley's reach? You ain't meet your shadow left half deceased. Trying to stay grounded with tenant toes. It ain't just me, there's many more. My wrath is heavenly sevenfold. So just cross me to know the lengths I'll go.
Bye. <laughs>